0: Hello, and welcome to the Market Weekly podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I'm joined this week by Mark Lewis, our Chief Sustainability Strategist, to discuss the role markets are playing in achieving climate goals, and in particular, some very interesting developments uh, in the EU carbon market. It's certainly worth highlighting that both the UK and the EU aim to be climate neutral by 2050, meaning an economy with net zero greenhouse gas emissions. And then we think about how to achieve those goals. And there's, broadly speaking, two ways to do that, either simply through regulation mandating uh, limits on pollution, or alternatively trying to use market mechanisms. And uh, carbon emission trading schemes or offshore wind power generation are two areas where governments are trying to incorporate market mechanisms. Now, carbon pricing is set to be a major topic in 2021. As the US rejoins the Paris Agreement, China launches a nationwide carbon market, and the world prepares for the critical UN climate change summit to be hosted by the UK in Glasgow in November. So, Mark, let me turn to you the biggest And most liquid carbon market in the world is the EU emissions trading scheme. Uh, We've seen a frantic start to the year in the EU carbon market with prices up more than 30 percent year to date and a new all time high reached just recently with the price trading above 40 euros per ton for the first time ever. So what is going on? And what about the political risk in this market as prices start to impact industry more forcefully?
1: Yeah, well, thanks, Daniel, and great to be with you uh, on on this podcast. Um, As you say, European carbon market has really been um, in focus with investors since the beginning of this year. And arguably, I would say, you know, really since the middle of last year when the European Union first set out its plan to get to net zero by 2050, a plan which is going through the formal process of legislation at the moment. So by the summer at the latest, we are going to have a legally binding target on the European Union and all of the member states within it to get to net zero by 2050. Now, why that is so interesting for the European carbon market is that the carbon market is the main policy tool for getting the European Union to net zero. currently the eu ets the european emissions trading scheme covers about 50% of all the emissions in the eu and as a market mechanism it it takes a bigger share of the burden for reaching the overall target of net zero than that part of the economy which is not covered by uh, the trading scheme so um, the whole point of put it, having a market and putting a price on carbon emissions is you get an efficient allocation by the market, reallocation, away from carbon-intensive activities to uh, cleaner, um, less carbon-intensive activities. And the interesting thing is, Daniel, since I would say, really, since that legislation was first proposed, which was all the way back in March last year, the carbon market has started. It's been looking for a new pricing paradigm, effectively. And we published a report in October uh, making the argument that really... The first phase of decarbonisation in Europe is done in the sense that the power market, which is a very important source of emissions, counts for roughly 25% of all European emissions. Um, we're on track to decarbonize, and the carbon price is now above the level at which you get maximum decarbonisation in the power sector. So really what the carbon market is telling us is we want to see a price that can start to reduce emissions in industry. And my argument in the report that we published in October is that given the importance of green hydrogen in enabling the EU to get to net zero by 2050, the carbon price will now have to start rising to a level that makes green hydrogen competitive with so-called grey hydrogen. Just for clarity, green hydrogen is hydrogen that is produced from electrolysis using renewable electricity to split water into its constituent elements of uh, oxygen and hydrogen. Whereas gray hydrogen, which is um, the um, production of hydrogen under a very carbon intensive process using natural gas, is obviously very polluting. So green hydrogen is green because it's clean. Gray hydrogen is gray because it's dirty and puts a lot of CO2 into the atmosphere. We're going to need higher, much higher carbon prices to achieve that. And um, I think what we're seeing in this early early price action since the beginning of this year is the market um, starting to feel its way up to a level that, that would start to um, really start to get industrial abatement going uh, in some of these industrial sectors. So it's a very exciting time to be following the carbon market. Just to put it into context for your listeners, um, it's taken the carbon market, which has been here for 15 years. Um, 15 years to get to 30 euros a ton. And in the first month of this year, uh, pretty much, or certainly over the last two months, we've gone from 30 to 40 euros a ton. So it took us 15 years to break through 30 uh, convincingly, and it's only taken a month and a half to go from 30 to 40. I think that tells you that we're we're on the threshold here now of an entirely new uh, pricing paradigm for European carbon, and one that I think is based on the need uh, to get to net zero. And since we can't get to net zero without green hydrogen, that is going to be the dominant pricing narrative over the next uh, few years. Now, to the second part of your question about the political risk here, um, obviously, if you're decarbonizing industry, the, um, the big question that always gets raised in Europe is, well, hang on a minute, we are doing everything we can to uh, meet our climate change targets, our Paris uh, Agreement targets, and get uh, emissions from power and industry down. But what about other jurisdictions around the world where there isn't a carbon price, and aren't we making it um, more difficult for our industry to remain competitive in an ever more competitive world by putting a carbon price on them, which many of our competitors do not have at the moment. Um, And I think uh, this week, Uh, we've seen the first signs that the European Commission might be thinking about um, perhaps uh, looking at ways in which they can limit speculative uh, inflows into the European carbon market. There was a story yesterday on Bloomberg uh, talking about that. But this is not new either. I mean, policymakers have been talking about the extent to which they want the right balance between the industrial compliance players on the one hand and um, financial investors uh, being in this market on the other. Um, The commission very well knows that the role of investors in this market is to aid with liquidity and price discovery. And those are very, very valuable uh, elements. And so I'm not getting over concerned about some of the um, talk in the market about, well, what if they put position limits on? Is that going to uh, make the market less attractive? They may well decide later in this year that it's something they want to look at. But in reality, as we all know, um, it's a complicated process uh, doing that in any market. And um, given the benefits of having investors aid with price discovery and liquidity, um, I, I don't think we should be getting too concerned about that. So the market fell three uh, percent at the close of trading uh, yesterday, Thursday, after having reached forty euros a ton earlier in the day in response to this breaking uh, Bloomberg story. But we've uh, we've re-established a, uh, a floor this morning, and, and, and it, although it's down slightly again this morning, we're not seeing a bigger drop off. I think actually the much more interesting question and. Uh, probably this deserves a whole other podcast in its own right at some point, is the more fundamental way in which you address the issue of competitiveness in Europe is through the issue of carbon taxes on uh, at the border for imports from countries that do not have any um, carbon pricing regime in place. And this is very much on the European Union's agenda. So later this year, we're going to see the uh, European Commission present an impact assessment of how a carbon border tax might look, um, how you would go about logistically putting a carbon uh, border tax in place, and what effect this would have on equalizing the playing field between European industry and global industry that is trying to sell into the European market. So look, it's a very, very interesting, exciting time in this market, lots going on. The carbon border tax is something I really think will bring uh, the issue of carbon pricing generally and globally to the forefront of financial market debate over the course of this year because when you think about the potential ramifications for global trade flows from putting a price uh, at the border uh, of the European Union, which after all is the biggest single trading block in the world, then clearly um, the potential implications of that could be huge. So that's definitely something else to keep an eye on. Politics is always present in this market. But the EU, I think, is, um, is on track now with this long-term net zero target and with the carbon market in place to deliver on that. And um, yeah, I think we're in, uh, we're in for a very interesting next 12 months in the carbon market.
0: Absolutely fascinating stuff, Mark. You're, you're right. We definitely will need to have you back on the show soon to talk about the carbon border tax. It raises a lot of uh, interesting questions, I'm right. sure, for governments, for regulators. Uh, let's turn to a slightly different area. Uh, the UK is gearing up to host COP26 late this year in Glasgow. But there has been some dismay in the market of late about the prices paid in the latest round of offshore wind auctions, which look very high compared with previous auction rounds. And in particular, uh, big oil seems to have paid a high price to enter this market. Uh, So a bit the same question. What's the story here? What's going on? And um, what does it tell us about the energy transition and the value that the market is putting on renewables?
1: Yeah, so very topical question, Daniel. and um, the background here is earlier this week the UK government awarded seabed leases uh, to the successful bidders who want to build eight gigawatts of new offshore wind capacity in the uh, in the sea around. England and Wales, there's going to be a separate auction for Scottish waters later in the year. So this one is is restricted to England and Wales. And what they've introduced into this bidding round, which has never been uh, seen in previous rounds of offshore wind auctions in the UK, is a preliminary stage where you're bidding for the right to lease the seabed for 60 years from the UK government. Now um, it's the price that has been paid for that option. That has raised a few eyebrows in the market because, in total, for eight gigawatts of uh, capacity, which won't, the earliest this capacity could start to be developed is not until the middle of this decade, 2025, more likely 2027 or even 2028. And for every year that passes, the winning bidders are going to be paying a collective £880 million just for the right to study the feasibility of building. Uh, building these uh, plants so the new valuable element in all of this is the right to lease the seabed um now the reason it's the, the reason it's controversial i suppose is that effectively what you're doing here is introducing a whole new layer of cost to an industry that has been phenomenally successful the uk has the best and most dynamic offshore wind market in the world we have 10 gigawatts of operating capacity already in uk waters um we have a pipeline coming through of close to a further 30 gigawatts. So the UK is on track to meet its ambitious target of 40 gigawatts of uh, offshore wind capacity by 2030. And I think what this does is, is raise the question, well, given that everything is going so well, why are you adding in this extra layer of cost to an industry that you need for your decarbonization plans over the long term? Now, I, i've no doubt the uk government would say well what this what this auction has revealed in fact is that the right to develop these assets in itself is a valuable asset and we've we've got a great deal here for the uk taxpayer the issue though is this will inevitably end up being put through into customer bills. So I wouldn't be surprised if the UK government finds itself at some point in the future having to recycle some of the funds that it will make from this windfall uh, from auctioning the right to the seabed uh, to compensate for higher customer bills in the future. So um, the the question and the concern I have is, uh, given that the energy transition has been running along very smoothly, particularly in the UK and particularly in the offshore wind market, um, adding in this extra layer of cost and to put it into context, this is going to increase the cost of developing these projects by anywhere between um, 30 and 35 percent on the numbers that I've done. I mean if you assume it only t- it's going to take six years before the first turbines are being put into the sea off the coast of England and Wales and every year that you're paying 880 million pounds collectively as a group of investors for that 8 gigawatts, then if you assume six years, that's an extra 5.3 billion pounds of cost to build these projects that was not there in the past. And if you assume then the capital construction cost of 8 gigawatts at today's prices would normally be about 14 billion, You're increasing the bill from 14 billion to 19, just over 19 billion, nearly 20 billion. It's a very, very significant uplift to the cost. Inevitably, the developers will have to pass that, try and pass as much of that cost through as possible into end user uh, electricity bills, and and you know that will be politically controversial in in itself. So, what really remains to be seen here. The other element uh, is not just this extra cost, but it's the fact that one of the oil companies bidding. Uh, for the right to develop here um, seems to have paid a very significant uh, premium because there's a big gap between the lowest winning bid um, and the highest winning bid, which was paid by a consortium, including uh, one of the big oil majors. And As we all know, the oil majors are under tremendous pressure to pivot their business model away from oil and towards renewables, and many of them are setting very ambitious targets for that. I think the question that investors have is, does this mean that big oil is going to pay uh, a high entry price to get into this market and risk reducing returns for everybody else and um, indeed one of the utility companies that is a leading uh, leading player in this market that bid in for the uk leases this time round did not win i suspect that's because they had a a much more disciplined bid in terms of the cost they were willing to bear up front for these options, uh, whereas big oil seems to be willing to say, well, look, we need to get into this market. It's pay to play for the time being, and we'll happily pay the premium in order to show investors that we are pivoting our business models. So it's going to be very interesting to watch how the UK government's windfall from these auctions this week affects Uh, The behavior of other governments around the world that are looking to incentivize the building of offshore wind going forward. Will this model be copied effectively and are we going to see a new layer of costs introduced into what has been until now a very fast growing, very dynamic market? And secondly, are we going to see big oil compete now on a very cutthroat basis with the established utility players who've been the first movers in this market? Those are the two big questions raised. Uh, from what's happened earlier this week in the UK. And our next opportunity to really see how this plays out will be the auction on the Scottish uh, seabed leases, which is coming up, I think, in the summer. Uh, So a few months away from now. So we'll see how that bid goes. Too early to draw conclusions on the basis of one auction. But certainly, uh, these are the questions that have been uh, raising eyebrows this week in investor circles.
0: Well, of course, there's some real fascinating parallels there with the telecom industry, and right? The spectrum auctions and what can seem Absolutely. like a big win uh, for the government could turn out to be a poison chalice, is if, as you say, down the line you get customers complaining about uh, high energy bills and asking the question, "Why is this?"
1: Right. Um, I think that's exactly right.
0: Yeah, and certainly, you know, when you think that the UK has heretofore been so successful in in developing. Uh, wind farms and and what is this going to do to that that track record. Exactly. Uh, So, if I can uh, recap a bit back on the first thing we discussed on on the carbon market, and it was very helpful and enlightening to know that the reason we've seen these big movements in in carbon pricing is uh, because of the announcement last year that EU's uh, gold to become carbon neutral by 2050, and uh, you very helpfully pointed out that by the time the legislation around this is passed this summer, hopefully, uh, that it's going to be a legally binding target. And, and clearly, that is really getting people's attention- and getting investors' attention. Uh, but at the same time, also really fascinating issues- around the competitive impact of all of this. And the question of whether or not developed countries, or the EU at least- uh, perhaps vis vis the US, are they hamstringing themselves- relative to perhaps developing countries- who aren't pursuing these objectives quite so aggressively or quite so quickly. So absolutely fascinating topic. So thanks very much for your
1: insights. My pleasure.
0: Uh, That's all from us for today. If you do have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. My thanks to Mark for sharing his insights. Please join us next week when I'll be uh, accompanied by Maria Luz Diaz-Blanco, Senior Portfolio Manager, to discuss inclusive growth. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.